Welcome to the show, everyone. This is a stakeholder-centered coaching production where we believe everyone deserves a stakeholder-centered leader. Today's episode is another installment in the series, Conversations with Coaches, where our top coaches share the behind-the-scenes unfolding of their career. The goal of this series is to give you an intimate peek behind the curtain so that you can see the messy ingredients that go into building a successful coaching career and the rewards that come at the end of the tunnel for those who are willing to put in the effort. I'm your host, Brandon Murgard, and if you'd like to send us a question or recommend a guest, send me an email to podcast at mgscc.net. My guest today knows well what it takes to make a great coach after spending years as a college athlete under the tutelage of one of football's greatest all-time winning coaches, Ken Sparks. He now coaches entire organizations and their leaders to create equitable opportunities in the workplace. When he's not coaching between Los Angeles and his home in Nashville, Tennessee, even all the way to Malawi, Africa, he's co-facilitating the Pay It Forward program with master coach Jathan Janov. He's a man of many hats, many successes, and is one of the youngest people ever to earn their title as a stakeholder center coach. Please welcome my guest, Aaron Wheeler. Aaron, it's great to have you on the show. Thank you for having me, Brendan. Now, we were talking right before the show uh, about some of the reasons that you became such an in-demand guest to get us to get you onto the podcast. Uh, not only were you highly recommended, by some of the greats, uh, the Frank Wagners, the Jathan Janovs, the Andy Taylors, to name a few. Uh, but you also have a robust perspective on being a coach. Like Chris Coffey and I, you come from a non-traditional coaching background. You're a person of color. And the angle I'd especially like to explore today, you're a millennial. And as the coaching market continues to become more competitive over time, each unique perspective that you personally bring to the table becomes an advantage. So I'd say we've got a lot of ground to cover. <laughs> Let's start with who you are today, and then we'll explore sort of how you got here. So let's, let's start with who is Aaron Wheeler? Thank you for having me, Brendan. Um, honestly, I am a person that smiles every day. I wake up every morning happy and trying to look at some positive way um, that I can impact someone else's life. Coaching is a perfect way to do that. Uh, so I am really happy to be in the position to where I have that opportunity to live that lifestyle. I am a person that works one-on-one -on -one with, uh, with leaders to help bring out that inner brilliance. Um, I'm, I love team coaching. I love all of the different elements of what coaching can actually be and the benefits of it for others. And on the side, I am a person that pushes the limits of my own thinking. Um, one of the experiences that I did that was pretty brutal on me uh, was running an ultra marathon. Uh, I learned it from, uh, he's a coach named Luis Velasquez. Louise is an amazing coach, but he's also a professional ultra marathoner. And he challenged me to go for a 50 miler. I am relatively a big guy. <laughs> Brandon, you, you got to see a bit of the, the way that I looked, at least in college. Um, running a 50 mile run at like about 210 pounds is a little tough. It's a little tough, a little hard on the feet. 
Um, I did it. And it was one of the proudest moments of my life. It rained the entire day. Uh, when I took my shoes off, they were covered in blood. <laughs> it was a, it was a tough, a very tough run. Um, but it was something that I accomplished, but, and I thought it was impossible. And I, I honestly think that when people put themselves in positions of where they're, they're uncomfortable or stretching outside of their box, we learn so much about self and we learn what's actually possible. We have these limiting beliefs that hold us in this box um, and prevent us from taking steps anywhere else. But you can do it. You can achieve crazy things. 50 miles sounds crazy. <laughs> it sounds really crazy. Would you would you do that again? Yes. Um, I would do it again. I definitely would. I, there was a book that I read while I was doing it. It was called uh, Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. And listening to the way that he takes a controlled environment to where he can push himself and it's okay to fail if he fails, but you really trying to push your body to the extreme so that you can prepare for when life throws curveballs. It's a preparation. Um, and I, I want to be able to go to the next stage of impossibility to myself. And that's a hundred miles. So I would definitely do it again. I want to put my body through it. I want to see what it takes to get there. And I want to break my own limiting beliefs. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. 50 miles is tough for anyone, but I mean, a guy, a guy, your size, you said 210 pounds, that's about 95, 96 kilos, I believe for our, our international crowd. That's, that's seriously, seriously challenging. And I have found having worked with so many of our coaches that those who I have found a trend that those who tend to be endurance athletes also tend to be really, really good coaches. Luis is a good example. Bill Zeeb, who was the first one on the show as an example, mm -hmm. Uh, and it was one of our coaches who got me into doing triathlete, into doing triathlons, Bill Zeeb and Axel Rittenhouse down in South Africa. Oh, right. When I asked, why would you do something as crazy as a 50 mile run? <laughs> he said, uh, he said, when you cross the finish line, some bug just bites you and you have to do it again. Mm -hmm. It becomes an addiction. And yeah. I thought that's bananas. And he said, just <laughs> do a 5k and you'll find out. Oh, you did one. Then it became 10K and it, it escalated, but um, a, a 50 mile. So tell us, where did you do this? Whereabouts did you do this run? So I selected a circle that was essentially a torture zone. <laughs> it, was, it was a small circle <laughs> that was in Nashville. Um, it was about four miles. And so I just had to loop that circle over and over again. So I saw the same thing. I saw the same um the same scenery the whole time. It was really pushing myself. So I didn't want to do it with other people. Um, but what I did was I set up my friends in case I needed them, if, if I needed some help in case of an emergency. Um, so they were there just cheering me on a little bit. But I, I didn't want to have other runners beside me. The thing, the whole reason I did it was to see that whenever I go inside, when I'm inside of self, when my body is screaming to stop and it's telling me no, can I control what seems to be the quitting moment? Can I control that and keep pushing myself to go forward? Can I, can I overpower that innate kind of sense of stopping 
uh, with sheer will, with my desire to accomplish and my desire to push through. And that was what made it so rewarding for me because I didn't know that I could. I had never ran that long. I mean, before this, I had never ran longer than I think like 15 miles <laughs> and I did 50 in the rain. Um, so I, I did it in a small circle in Nashville. It was not flat at all, which could have been a better choice. And I just went for it and it, it worked out. I, I did hurt myself <laughs> and was down. I, I don't think I could walk. I couldn't walk for four weeks, three weeks. So I was literally like moving my body. (laughs) I was dragging my body around um, my apartment. I didn't live with anybody at the time. So I was just dragging myself around. But it was (laughs) the most painful yet uh, fulfilling moment of my life. I I really broke a barrier, a limiting belief that I had that day. And it was it was great. It was great. Brandon, I know you do. uh, You are a big fitness person yourself. So what was what was that crazy turning moment for you where you broke through some limiting belief that you had? And it was a physical, physical moment. It's a a really good question. You know, um, yeah, a few a few times come to mind, Aaron. Thanks for the question, by the way. You know, this is we, we tend to focus so much on coaching. We forget about the coach and what, what's going on in their life. Uh, I remember doing the first 5K after Axel said, go and go and give it a try. And this must have been in 2014. This is before grad school. I've got all the time in the world to do it. And I remember, say, I was living in Asia at the time. We crossed the finish lines. There's confetti cannons that they're just <laughs> constantly loading up. There's there's uh, uh, flames. I mean, they really go all out on these productions. And it's 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 not a race. It's a completion thing. I've never been a I've never been to the level that I could compete. Uh, you know, it was just the do it yourself and feel good about it. But I remember crossing the finish line and thinking, oh yeah. Oh yeah, I got to get me some more of this. Um, and you know that's that transitions to you know Bill Zeeb was would do these Ironman distant triathlons where he's swimming in freezing waters, doing ten thousand meter elevation for his bike ride, finishing down at the bottom of the mountain and starting the the marathon level run at the bottom. So I thought I need to do some of these off road. I need to do them uphill. And we were going up uh, what's called Namsan Tower. It's it's the North Tower in Seoul, uh, a mecca for cyclists. And I remember um, just thinking, okay, you got this last climb. Just go, go, go. Just push, just push, just push, and just get to the top. And I see it, and we get closer and closer. And you come up over the crest, and you think, I can finally just spin some of this lactate out of my legs. And uh, I looked down at the map, and I was reading the topography wrong. We were we were a significant way up, but there was still a significant way Ooh. left, and that was the steepest. And so Ooh. I remember thinking, like, if you're going to get through this, you know, suck it up. Uh, and that's transitioned now to preparing for kettlebell sport competitions and steel mace competitions. The biathlon and the marathon both are just uh, real tests of strength endurance, but it's it's a mental game. Mm-hmm. And you know, I can say that all day long. Because you know your kettlebells are fifty to seventy pounds, you might be doing this with. But you were a college athlete. You were two hundred and twenty there in your prime. In some of the the athletic uh, uh, photos that I've seen, you're you are a serious 
contender. And to take that body and do the 50 miles, 15 would be enough for most people. What I'd like to ask is what you learned from this, because the reality is most of us aren't going to do it, but we could probably get some of the takeaways from your experience. What did Let's talk specifically about leadership and coaching. What did you walk away from the experience with as a key learning from having pushed yourself past this point of what your body is really comfortable doing? That is such a good question. Um, I'm going to think out loud because I, I did it, but I didn't really think about it in Please that do. method. Um, one of the, the big pieces is what I had already said. It, it's limiting beliefs. To me, I had never ran that far. So to even think about 50 miles <laughs> in, in a point of like logistics and how long that would actually take and the amount of hours it would take, um, and the fuel that you would burn to do it. That was something that I couldn't even put my brain around. So when it came to race day, it was just, I'm going to just go out here and do it. I didn't try to, to calculate anything, but I really learned that our minds, they put such a cap on the real strength and ability and where we can really go with who we are. We are a lot stronger than we give ourselves credit for. We are much more resilient than we give ourselves wow. credit for. Much more flexible, much more capable. Um, we can always push through to achieve what we see as impossible. The, the biggest thing is you have to do it. The thing that stops people from achieving impossible is the fact that they don't take the first step to, to try. That's really what it is. And 50 miles to me was impossible, <laughs> but I gave it a shot. Wow. Well, Look, whether it's your your athletic prowess or whether it's what you're doing as a coach, every superhero has an origin story. So let's dig into some of your background and kind of what brought you to where you are today. Brandon, honestly, I am the reflection of so many brilliant people. SCC, Stakeholder Center Coaching, the group that makes that up, all of the amazing coaches, they are really genuine. They are happy to give their time, their expertise. If, if we didn't have so many great people, I definitely wouldn't be standing here having this conversation with you. Where I started, I was pre-med. Um, I was playing football. I had this perfectly linear path. I was going to go play college sports become an orthopedic surgeon and then have this life of going in and saving people and cutting and, and rebuilding. It was not that clear cut. Um, one of the big things that I have learned that as a younger person, I really believe that we could cut and paste and create this perfect life. And it, it's always going to end up that way. That's not it. Um, if, if yours has been so far, I'm going to give you a quick shocker. It's not going to work out always. <laughs> it is not always going to work out like that. Um, be prepared. Be prepared to shift and move and be dynamic. Um, but always work towards what that end goal is. And for me, once I went in, I did uh, 250 hours of shadowing for orthopedic surgery. I also had some uh, some other surgeons that I followed as well. But the real thing was orthopedic surgery because I that was it. That was my sweet spot. That was what I was going to do. 
I went in, I did it, and I had this weird inkling. It was, it was a weird thought. I saw the process. I saw what they did, but I didn't really pay attention to if they were happy. And in my perception of what this linear thing was, it was joy was a big piece of this whole thing. So I did another 250 hours just strictly to see if these orthopedic surgeons were happy or were they doing it because they had already spent so much time. They had so much invested that they just kept going. And what I saw, I didn't necessarily want for myself. Um, and this isn't, this isn't anything to any doctors, any orthopedic surgeons. It just, the lifestyle didn't fit. Um, what I wanted, there was essentially a callousing that's formed and you have to form that because you have to protect self. When you're in an environment that is extreme, when you're working on, on human bodies, when you're, when people's lives are on the line, you have to protect self somehow. And one of the ways that they did it was to kind of dehumanize people. And it, it's, it sounds bad. <laughs> I know it does. It sounds bad straight off. Um, but it is very understandable as to why they do it. You, they have to be able to go back into work the next day and save another person. They are working very hard and, um, the pressure to be perfect and to ensure that what they do, uh, is point on right on every time is high. So when I saw that, it wasn't really what I wanted. I wanted to be able to be the whole self be me, be joyful, be positive, but still also remain that connection to people, to be able to still look at people in a certain light of um, seeing their struggle, seeing their humanity, seeing who they are and still uplifting and being a part of their story and having that empathy to connect with them. So I went a completely different direction. I graduated pre-med biology um, <laughs> And my parents were shocked. Brandon, I'm sure you could understand. That was a long conversation, a very long conversation <laughs> with my family. Um, I didn't really know where I was going to go, honestly. Uh, I had an understanding that I wanted to help. It was that, that, that statement that all young people say. It's, I want to have an impact and help people somehow, but I'm not sure as to how that is. I was there. I was there. I was lost. I didn't know where I was going to go. Um, and on YouTube, I saw Marshall Goldsmith talking to Google. And I saw what he was saying, and I saw the way that he captured the audience. He had these big aha moments. And I started diving deeper and saw that he, he didn't only talk to these big groups of people. But he also worked with these very accomplished leaders and he uplifted them to become a better version of this already super powered person um, so that they could be more effective for their organization and the people um, and ultimately also for themselves. And so I looked at that and I said, yep, that's going to be what I do. <laughs> that is it. Mind you, Brandon, I had no background at all in anything business, nothing. I'd never been in a corporate environment, um, no meetings in, in the sense of a normal work meeting, uh, no understanding or information around what that even looked like or what it meant. I saw the raw impact of what coaching was, and that's what made me want to be a coach from Marshall. Um, 
I sent him an email. He sent his email in that video. I sent him one and he actually replied to me. My email was, will you be my mentor? Like that was <laughs> pretty short, pretty direct, pretty straightforward. Um, and uh, he actually sent me something back. And the sheer fact that he replied changed everything. It made it tangible because it's one thing to have a goal. You don't know anybody that has done it. You don't know anything about it. And it's just out there is very different whenever the person that you're looking at at the top has a conversation with you and humanizes themselves. Um, and that's what Marshall did for me. He, he made me understand that it was possible. Now he said no, <laughs> but he did send me a reply. <laughs> um, he said that he was, he was moving and he was doing a lot of stuff, which was very understandable. But my message back to him was, you, you made me understand that it's possible. You talked to somebody that it wasn't nobody. Like I didn't have any experience. I was straight out of college. I didn't have anything to offer. And you took the time to send me a message um, that you didn't have to do. And for some reason, he connected me with Frank Wagner from there. And the, from the very day that I spoke with Frank, the very day, <laughs> after about two-hour conversation, Frank said, I've got your back for the rest of your life. And from there, that one chokes me up. <laughs> I am an emotional guy. <laughs> so that one, that one gets me. Um, yeah. Frank, wow. Frank is, he's an amazing human being. And I am very much the person that I am because of Frank and his tutelage and mentoring. And that was about seven years ago now. Um, so yeah, that, that was my origin story. <laughs> it was very out of nowhere, but it's, uh, it came full circle now. It's a it's an amazing story. And like I said, it's not dissimilar to Chris Coffey's story, my story. We all many of us fall into this profession and we happen to do, you know, disproportionately well because some of us do because we don't have that traditional background. Yeah. Um, so w what I understand is we started pre-med, mm -hmm. had a great time doing it, does this supervision of these orthopedic surgeons, notice they're not really doing it because of their satisfaction, yeah. see some dehumanization, pull out, you, you kind of push away from that, mm -hmm. say, what's next? You discover this video of Marshall, and ladies and gentlemen, it's, I believe it's uh, Marshall Talks at Google, mm -hmm. I think is the title. We'll try and get that link down in the show notes. <laughs> but that was my introduction as well. It's a super video. It's about an hour long. It's very old. Marshall doesn't have his beard, and he's doing a team building without time wasting. Um, and that is impactful. So you get connected with Frank through him. Mm -hmm. And yeah, what a, what a tremendous powerhouse human being Frank Wagner is. <laughs> uh, you mentioned there's other people. Yes. You mentioned there's others. Let's name some of them by name because I think this is should be the point in this uh, this whole this whole show. Who else has just really changed the game for you along the way? Oh, there have been so many. Um, so I would start Marshall Goldsmith and Frank Wagner. Frank being Frank being a person that has spent seven years pouring into a completely empty glass, <laughs> so completely empty. Um, Andy Taylor. Um, Jathan Janoff, Luis Velasquez, uh, 
John, Barbara Green, Deanna, uh, Ron Curtis, Kimberly Gonzalez. Uh, there are so many people. It is even, it's hard to think Amazing. about them all. Um, but I am very much, like I said before, a reflection of them. I'm a reflection of amazing people that took time to talk to somebody that had everything to learn and not much to give, <laughs> not mm-hmm. much to give in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I stand here today because of that strong community that we have. That is for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love it. And you know, our big initiative here in this year is how do we make that community bigger and how do we mm-hmm. spread this impact farther? Something I appreciate is every time you and I communicate, you have a laundry list of people to thank. <laughs> you you are someone who, in my observation, is consistently looking around for who can I blame for all this goodness going on <laughs> and who can I attribute this uh, to because... I think that's just so your personality. Um, and something else I know about you is that you you will learn as much in the joyful moments as you will in the not so joyful moments. So mm-hmm. let's talk about what are some of the things that you have learned and have been shaped by in these less than joyful moments? Mm. Um, Tell us some of the stories that go into that. That is really good. There was There was one that's controlled and then there was some others that weren't. So there was a controlled, not very joyful moment uh, that Frank had challenged me to. And it was um, to to do some sales pitches. That was a hole in my game. I, I had every, essentially everything was. So selling was one that I had a limiting belief around. Um, I really had a weird connection behind offering a service, but then asking for money for it. Uh, so Frank challenged me to have a conversation with multiple organizations and just do a pitch. The outcome does not matter. Failure has no repercussion, no negative repercussion. You're going out there just to experience it. And I sweated more <laughs> thinking about, not even going, just thinking about it, um, than any workout or anything I've ever done. Um, so what I did was I tried to double down because for some reason I like to put myself in really tough situations. And so I said, okay, I'm going to go down to downtown Atlanta and I'm going to walk and go door to door through every one of the shops in downtown Atlanta. <laughs> and um, I did it and it was brutal. It was absolutely brutal for someone that has that limiting belief is also very new. So I didn't have the confidence that would come with actually feeling like you know what you're talking about. Um, any of those elements. And whenever I did that walk, it was controlled failure, but I learned so much about myself. I learned what makes me uncomfortable. I learned um, that even when I'm uncomfortable, I can still step up and do what I need to do for the success of my business, for the growth of myself, and also for that accountability piece. Um, I got challenged by Frank. He didn't make me have, like, do it, but I knew that it was, it was something that I told him I would do. So I had to step up and do it. Uh, there was so much that I learned from that for sure, but that, that was controlled failure. Um, other elements 
that were challenging. Um, I, I had a leader that I worked with. Uh, she was brilliant. She was absolutely brilliant. She was a PhD. She was going to get another one. So she was going to have two PhDs. She was in an organization. Um, she was in an organization to where I don't remember her exact position now, um, but she was managing a, a large group of people. I think it was between 70, 70 to 100 people in um, the section that she managed. Whenever I went in, she wanted to develop and grow and be better. That was just her single mindset. That was actually what she said, that develop, grow, and be better. What does that mean and what does that look like was what we had to discover as we went forward. I had so many thoughts around how I could help. And I did the SEC structure and we were going. And at the end of the day, somebody that was that brilliant, that driven, she ended up failing. And I put all of the failure on me. <laughs> and I was really confused as to what happened because SEC is linear. You do, you put in the work, you check in with your stakeholders, you do um, your daily checklist and you go and in six months to a year, you'll have that plus one to plus three and uh, you'll show tangible growth. What ended up happening was that she didn't have support. I was there, but none of her her managers cared. I came in specifically for her. I wasn't hired by the organization, so I worked directly with her. Um, that was something that I didn't really expect. I didn't expect for her stakeholders to really not care. They didn't support. They weren't there to say you're doing great or you can do better here. It was more or less she did the check-in, but they had no suggestions. They had no uh, real desire to even really be there. And that was something that I didn't really check for. So when she went in and we gave them the assessment, perception didn't change because the stakeholders weren't in the right mindset to be people that can help her grow and develop. Even though she put in the time, she might have done even uh, better than her score reflected. But perception is a big piece of success. There's there's a uh, a quote. It's called it's by Inky Johnson, I do believe. Inky Johnson is a very powerful speaker. If you get a chance, Brandon, you have to listen to him. Um, he's it says perception drives performance. A way a person sees what they do directly impacts a way the person does what they do. And that's, it's extremely powerful. That's very powerful. So she had a perception of where she wanted to go and how she was going to get there. But there's another level to that. Um, the perception of others also affects it. If you're in a work environment where what you do and how you move up, how you uh, get to the next level or how you impact certain outcomes, the perception of the people that you work around is very important. And if you don't take the time to foster those relationships and ensure that whenever we do SCC, we bring the right people in that want to help, want to see you be a better version of self, it's going to fail. And that was one that I took very hard um, and she did as well. 
And she ultimately ended up leaving the company for a job that actually paid less because she needed an environment wow. of support. And that's an important one to have. That was, mm. have you ever had an environment, a situation like that? Where a client didn't improve? Yes. Where a client didn't improve or maybe the support system just wasn't there. I've definitely had uh Cl- uh, prospective clients who we have been in discussion with uh, to work together, mm-hmm. but whose stakeholders just didn't seem to, let's say that the uh, the way in which the leader was willing to enroll the stakeholders was not compatible with gathering the buy-in from the stakeholders. Mm-hmm. That's probably a, a roundabout way of saying it, just, it wasn't the right engagement. Yeah. Um, that said, I'm certainly not without my failures. Uh, I have the fortunate vantage point of having worked with so many of our coaches and having personally certified so many of them, mm-hmm. knowing that about 90% of the challenges that you'll have tend to come from some skipped step in phase one, mm. not enrolling stakeholders uh, correctly mm-hmm. or sufficiently, yeah. not uh, setting up the environment for success, not picking the right area, something like this. And so I'm extremely rigid there. Although most of my time isn't spent coaching like most of our coaches. So I may not be a representative sample. Um, but, you know, let's, let's continue down this, this thread of the challenges that come up um, and talk about a topic that unfortunately you are all too familiar with. Um, and that's adversity, mm. you know, becoming a full-time coach is tough enough as it is for anyone. But um, I know you've had to climb quite a few more hurdles along the way. And the reality is that anyone coming into this field younger than 40 is going to have quite an uphill battle. I might even push that upward by about a decade Mm -hmm. uh, or so. But it can be even more challenging to try and do it without that typical pedigree of top tier grad school and fast track career, um, you know, working in investment banking. And while many of us figure it out, uh, quite a large contingency of us are still trying to find our feet beneath wobbly knees. Mm. So uh, Aaron, could you tell us about some of the mountains you've had to climb to get where you are today, especially as it relates to um, age related challenges? Brandon, that is another great question. Um, Age is definitely a challenge in in this business. It's hard to establish credibility um, whenever you look a certain type of way. Whenever you walk into a room that's full of people that are senior and they've been there and they've done their job for 30 years, there there's most definitely a mentality of what can this young person tell me that I haven't already experienced. When... When I was working with Frank, one of the things that he really pushed was you don't have to be an expert at what they do. That's why they have their job. That's why they are in the position. You're good at what you do, and that's creating effective change. Push that element of it. Push the stakeholder-centered process because you know it and you're good and you can do this. So it was, it was really trying to rewire what that meant. So for me, whenever I would have that conversation, it was changing it. It was altering the way that that um, the perception was. It's not I'm not coming in here trying to tell you how to do your job even better. I'm not trying to tell you how to 
um, do all of these elements that you've spent 20, 30, 40, your entire career learning how to do. I'm here to make you an even better version of who you bring to the table today. And that's what I'm really good at. And that's where I have my value to offer. So if you can change that perception, that is going to be the biggest piece of being able to get in the organizations whenever you look a little bit um, new in the field or young or um, not having the same level of experience as the people that you're working with. So it's really changing, changing the way that people see you. That was a very big one for me, for sure. Um, hmm. Could you re-ask that question so I can think of a couple of other situations? Would you be able to do that for me, Brandon? Sure. Yeah, and you know, my goal here is to be the representative of the, uh, let's say, non, uh, as a not not a small minority of coaches in our network um, who are younger or who don't have that background or who um, I think really what it comes down to is that younger coaches, which by the way, I, I quite generously include myself in that category. <laughs> uh, younger coaches frequently comment on the challenges of establishing credibility with senior leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, they report uh, being seen as too young, mm-hmm. or as you said, just like, what are you going to, what are you going to do to meaningful, meaningfully contribute to this organization that I have been in for 20 years, this yeah. industry or the skill set that I've been improving for 30 years, what could you do? Um, and how, you know, my question is really, how do you establish credibility and what can we learn from what you're doing, whether that's your successes or your mistakes? Mm-hmm. So another piece um, that I add is that whenever you come in, if you come in in a team, say that there is uh, this big project and there's a team of, of you, whenever you're working with other people that have that credibility, their word and their support and trust and belief in you actually also helps. So there are times where, let's say, Jathan Janoff, who's, who's been on the podcast, um, if we were to go in and work together, Jathan's reputation and his success stands for itself. I mean, the man is one of the top 100 uh, leadership speakers or thinkers in the United States. So whenever we come in together, that helps. That definitely helps somebody like me that hasn't had that same level of um, public success or that's newer. You just have to be very sure that you have the opportunity to uh, or when you get the opportunity that you do your best to knock it out of the park. And then you take those references and those people that you've worked with and you just start building them, build your experiences, do pro bono opportunities, learn as much as you can so that whenever you get the chance to actually show people what you can do, that it's locked in. You, you're really good at it. And that's not. You don't want your first opportunity to be this massive failure because you don't know what you're doing. So take the time to learn. Then once you've got that set and locked in, if you need to do free stuff, do free stuff. I have done so many free projects. It is crazy. <laughs> I, am a, I am a big proponent of saying yes. If there are all of these opportunities out there and if you say yes to all anything or not anything, but a lot of the things that are presented to you, 
maybe the outcome's not what you expected, but the learning is. The, there's learning there. There's something that you get from it. Um, you can get mm. a referral. You can get a connection. You can build a network. As somebody that came straight out of college, I didn't have a network. I didn't have experience in the corporate environments. Like I missed, I, I didn't have any of these things. So being able to do free things and saying yes and building a community of coaches around me all came together to really present opportunities that I otherwise wouldn't have had a chance to, to really uh, be a part of. So I, I have so many learnings, but just to, to count them down, it's being open, saying yes to opportunities, doing what's free and building your credibility that way. Um, getting some referrals and things from free stuff like the pay it forward program would give you a fantastic opportunity to do that. And then build the people around you, um, that are doing what you want to do and, and helping them any way you can, getting mentors learning, being a sponge and absorbing all of the different tactics and methods. So when you step out there, you're ready and you can really shine and do as well as possible when you get your first chance. Beautiful. I mean, one thing, actually, Aaron, are you okay if I call you out for something that you've done that I think is excellent and <laughs> any of our younger coaches should certainly uh, replicate? Are you okay with that? Yes, sure. Um, and I'll, I'll just jump up ahead, but I want to direct people to your, your website. How would people land on your website, Aaron? It is Aaron-Wheeler.com. So Aaron spelled out yes. just the Aaron dash mark. Two A's. Yes, Aaron with two A's. A-A-R-O-N dash Wheeler. W-H-E-E-L-E-R.com. Now, what I think is just so cool that you've done here on your website, and any of you who are listening, I recommend hopping on his website, especially if you're if you're a younger coach or if you are struggling with establishing credibility in this area. Mm -hmm. um, Aaron, something you did that I, I really like is if you go to the About Us section, there's About Us where he, he talks about... Um, <laughs> where he talks about the, the company and what they do. But if you look at the meet the team section, you've got Aaron listed as the principal, Frank Wagner as an advisor. Mm -hmm. You've got Louis Velasquez as, a, as an advisor, Jathan, Isaac. And what this does, as he's mentioned, is it creates a lot of credibility almost by, let's say, osmosis. If you put enough of these big, big shots on one page, it almost just absorbs uh, into yourself mm -hmm. and you get to carry the credibility of, of the team. And I think this is something you've done well. You know, was this something that you saw a mile ahead and said, that's what I want to do? Or did this kind of happen by, by accident as you were building out the page? Was it a recommendation? How did you come about this? I really don't remember, to be honest. Um, I do know that once, <laughs> once I started it, uh, I wanted to put Frank there as an homage to everything that he's, he's taught me. It wasn't to necessarily use his credibility. It was more or less to, to say, like, this is somebody that has poured a ton into me and thank you for doing it. Um, I've made it. <laughs> I have a page. I'm here. I've gotten to this point. Um, and then I started really thinking about it and, um, I saw it in that method. It was a way to give back and say, thank you. I want everybody to see everybody that I connect with and talk to. I want them to see the, the people 
that uh, are truly responsible for who stands here today. And it did play a big piece into also creating the accountability. And I, I mean, not accountability. Um, the uh, what is the word I'm forgetting right now, Brent? <laughs> credibility. Credibility. There we go. Um, to creating that credibility. So whenever I sat down, I think it was it was uh, with Frank or Andy Taylor. I can't remember. And um, they, I think they kind of pitched it as in, yeah, use that as a way to show that maybe you don't have all this information, but you have advisors that do and that have done this for a long time and that will help steer you in the right direction. And maybe that'll be the piece that can get you over the hump. So if anybody's thinking about that, please give that a shot. Give it a shot. Um, Mm -hmm. First, you have to surround yourself with Mm -hmm. those type of people so that you get the opportunity to learn from them. Um, Just using people's names, it's, it's not going to do it. It's not going to do much. Um, the important thing is to mm-hmm. build that village. Um, there's there's an African proverb. I wish I knew exactly which country it came from, but I believe it is. Uh, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to last for a long time, go with a group. I'm pretty sure I butchered that. But mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the overall concept is whenever you're creating something that's going to be success, successful and sustainable, it takes a village of people. It is not just you. It is not you. Mm-hmm. There is no such thing as an overnight success and you did it on your own. And it's all on just your success and your, your ability to be brilliant and great. It's all of the amazing people that are in your groups that support and develop and, and really pour into who you are that have taught you all of the different pieces and elements on how to be strategic, how to be a good coach, how to develop, how to uplift. Um, All of those things are needed to create a person or an effective coach that can last for a long time. You have to have mentors. You have to have people that you look up to and learn from and that can stretch you to be uncomfortable. That is very important. And I've got lucky enough to be able to do that with a lot of different people. Wonderful. And I I echo everything you're saying, you know, one of the most uh, redundant pieces of advice I give coaches when they start out is to take on those free projects (laughs) and use that to build your community. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, we've cooked this into the certification now, Aaron, this was, this was uh, what, seven years ago when you got certified. Now, when coaches go through the program to earn your certificate, you have to coach a client for six months Mm. and earn positive results with them. You actually get certified by demonstrating your proficiency with the the process Mm -hmm. rather than simply learning it. And by doing that, you learn how to sell. And we recommend people doing it pro bono. So hopefully you're learning how to even give it away. Use those testimonials as leverage for your next clients Mm -hmm. and then identify the helpers. Look for the helpers, bring them along with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll entertain one, one story with a, a takeaway. The takeaway is when you build that community, you can ask like Aaron did, hey, will you mentor me? Mm-hmm. An even better way to do this is to add value to an individual. Yeah. And I'm reminded of a story. Uh, I won't bring out the names, but an individual was saying, oh, I'm going to get this really big thought leader, not Marshall, this really big thought leader to mentor me. 
And I thought, cool, how are you gonna do that? And they said, well, I've asked and they haven't responded, but uh, I know that they're, they're doing a, uh, a speaking engagement up in um, the Bay Area, mm -hmm. and I'm gonna go and just wait outside security, and as soon as they come out, I'm gonna jump out and pitch them my business and ask if they'll mentor me. And I thought, that is a bold, uh, <laughs> bold idea. Um, and it didn't work out. Some years later, I caught up with the individual and said, how did you eventually get this to, to um, come to fruition what you wanted? They said, well, I found sometime they were speaking and they were speaking about an hour away from the airport. Mm -hmm. What I did was I went out and rented the nicest car I could get my hands on. I called them, uh, I called their secretary and I said, I will pick you up at the airport. I'll drive you around the whole day that you're here. Mm -hmm. This is a couple days of event. And they said, it cost me a few hundred dollars to rent that car. But what I got to do instead was I got to spend hours with this individual in traffic. I got to speak with them before, hear what was going on in their minds beforehand, what was going on afterwards. I got to preempt their challenges. And, you know, I didn't just ask this individual out for coffee. Mm -hmm. I added value to their life. Yeah. And I would have, they told me I would have spent thousands of dollars per hour to spend an hour with this individual. Mm -hmm but it cost me about $1,000 to spend a few days with them and about 10 hours, a few days, about 10 hours, all told with traffic to mm -hmm. and from the airports and the events. So find someone who you admire, add value into their life, bigger than just let me buy you a cup of coffee, um, and then invite them to be along, invite them to come along with you um, on your journey. I think that's really important mm -hmm. for many of the young people to hear is the story you're sharing. Yeah. So, um, Coming back to when you're starting out, Aaron, what were some of the things that just kept you up at night when you were first becoming a coach? What kept you up at night? Um, what kept me up at night? Whenever I first was becoming a coach, I did essentially what you just talked about. I did everything necessary to actually get in the door. So if it was finding mentorships and then, okay, let's say that I would be the person that helped create their website, I would do that. I, even though I wouldn't know how to, I would go in and I would study how to do it and I would do it step by step so that I could have time to, to glean what I can glean um, by, by adding value to them as well. Um, but I also did Uber, Lyft, I did Amazon, I did it everything I could to survive, but have a flexible schedule. So um, whenever I actually got in these coaching conversations, I could have some level of flexibility to connect with possible clients and create conversations. So what kept me up at night was the fact that I worked all throughout the night. I worked 24 seven, I've slept very little. I sacrificed everything to have opportunities to do this stuff. Um, a lot of time, a lot of, uh, effort where, or, or energy where you could have put it somewhere else. There were friends, birthdays that I missed. There were events with family that I missed all just so I could work during the night and then during the day be flexible enough to where I could either provide some type of help for the people that were mentoring me or, uh, to talk with clients and have a possibility of of connecting with them and um, and having an open enough schedule so that we can actually put things in. Learning the material isn't the struggle. That's not the struggle at all. It's putting in the extra time mm -hmm. 
to actually ensure that you're doing and fostering an environment for yourself to where you can grow and you can create opportunity. So it's for me, what kept me up was the work. <laughs> I've worked a lot. I worked a whole lot. Um, mm -hmm. And it's not something that I would take back. I think it's what it was that Jathan. I think Jathan says there's no such thing as an overnight success or you're the 20 year overnight success. One or the other. Um, it takes a lot of sacrifice. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> it takes a whole lot of sacrifice and be willing well, to do it. Go ahead. So it sounds like that grind was really a part of your origin story as well. Being willing to really put in the sweat equity. Yes. Yeah. That was the biggest piece. Um, everything that I did was free and that wasn't just coaching. That was working with the mentors. Um, I'm actually really glad that you elaborated on that earlier. It's working with the people around me in any way that they needed me. If that was, take the emails and just forward the ones to them um, of the people that are interested and then answer the ones of people that are just showing appreciation. I would do that. If it is um, physically writing out letters that they don't have time to do and shipping that out to people, I would, I would literally do any of the stuff, everything that was necessary um, that would just get me in the door and allow me to have conversations with people. Because at the end of the day, like you said, you have to show some level of value as well. It can't just be a take, take, take mentality. Um, you for, for these people to be so successful, they don't have a ton of time. And to be able to have them give that time to you, you have to be able to help in some way. Um, I was really great opportunity to have Frank because Frank didn't, <laughs> he didn't ask for time, even though I tried to give or uh, ask for free stuff from me. Um, even though mm -hmm. I was offering everything, he's just honestly a genuinely open human who's, who really wants to help and see other people grow. Um, but in a lot of situations where you're meeting somebody for the first time, they might be that way. It's just, they don't know you. So create some level of value to build that relationship and show that even though you don't know any of what they're trying to teach you, you're open to learn things. You're open to be flexible. You're open to say yes when they need you. And whenever they need you, they will call on you. Um, you just have to be available. You have to put in that work, that sweat equity. Yeah, it's a common theme in the show to talk about uh, Frank comes up often, Chris comes up often, many times the other uh, guests have come up mm -hmm. as uh, around that question, like, hey, who helped you? Who made a difference for you? Who was your mentor? Who was your role model? Um, Frank comes up uh, an extreme amount of times <laughs> to be able to say, I could pick up the phone and call Frank and get that help. Mm -hmm. I ran into an issue and he was able to, to be there and help me. Same thing for Chris. Uh, so let's flip that around and let me ask you this, okay. Aaron, you are a few years back, you are hustling as a driver, mm -hmm. as a, as a delivery person. Yep. And in the daytime, you're trying to do your coaching and get your coaching practice off the ground. If there was someone at that moment who was a few years or a few steps behind you, and said, boy, I really want this guy, Aaron, to mentor me. How could they have added value to your life in a way that would have earned your extremely rare free time to mentor or to coach? Wow, that is a 
phenomenal question. <laughs> that is a very good question, Brandon. Um, <laughs> hmm. I would say what what would have probably gotten me is uh, a person's persistence, not just to just continuously send the emails, but to say, you know, I'm willing to do this, or how can I help you? Are there any areas um, that you just aren't having time for that I can feel for you? And then maybe have five or 10 minutes of your time afterwards to ask you some questions. Like to, to if they filled in that blank of need for me and then um, ask for advice or whatever afterwards, I think that would have gotten me. Because anybody that's got fight is exciting to me because I see myself in that. Anybody that is willing to to really burn that candle and do as much as they can and uh, fight through adversity and really put themselves out there and be vulnerable with somebody they don't know uh, very much pulls my respect. They earn my respect in that regard. Um, so if they did that just by reaching out and asking those questions and trying to figure it out, um, I probably would have given my best to uh, to try to help them in whatever mm. way I could have. But I, I really like that. I admire that in people. Where would you draw that line between persistence and pestering where someone, Ooh. I mean, if someone just emails you every day, it's a new inbox, oh, what can I do for you? You know, it's like delete, 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 delete. At what point is it just, at what point is it stalking? And at what point is it soliciting uh, and admiring someone just looking to have them be your mentor? Yet again, that's another good question. Um I don't know that I would, I wouldn't say that, <laughs> that I pestered people uh, too much. I didn't send emails over and over again. Um, my emails were very thought out. If I did reach out to somebody, they were very thought out. It had mm -hmm. my questions in it to gain like perceived pain points, how I can be, um, how I could offer some level of, uh, aid or help. Even though I can't do it in, you know, if you're a coach, I can't give you this coaching advice to be an even better coach. But um, I'm really good at emails. I'm really good at technology. If a lot of these people are possibly a little bit older, technology could be an issue. So um, if you are needing help with Instagram, um, I have this Instagram page and I, I can help create something similar for you. Maybe that's an issue. So it's it's figuring out the pain point. And then sending a very targeted email or having a targeted conversation that addresses some of the things that uh, they might need help with and how you can fill it. If you're just sending an email over and over again that's saying, be my mentor, be my mentor, be my <laughs> that's <laughs> that's not going to work. And some people just aren't a good fit. And that's okay because you want the people that actually want to be there to help you. Um, so if you send that email and you don't get anything back, what did you learn from that moment? What, how could you have sent the email a little bit better? Or what, how could you have titled it differently? Or if you approach someone in public, how could you have approached them better? So whenever you do it again, you can get a different outcome. Um, I wouldn't say to just continuously push one button over and over again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there are so many amazing people out there. Sure. <laughs> Take your time, find some people you admire 
and um, just hone in your ability to to talk to them. And maybe you will possibly find somebody. But if not, just keep your search going. But to someone different, don't just do the same person over and over again. That is stalking, ladies and gentlemen. Please don't do that. And, you know, Aaron, I have to apologize. I may, I think I couched the question wrong, my, my, but we got the answer. The question I was looking for was, what could someone have done to stand out to you in a time that you are really grinding at night and trying to make, uh, make a life for yourself in the daytime? Mm-hmm. But what, you, what, you, uh, what your response said was, find the thing that they dislike doing or find the thing that they can't quite do mm-hmm. and offer to do that. Yes. Hey, you're having trouble with your website? Let me figure it out. Oh, you don't like sending that email? Let me take that on for you. Like, how can I buy you time back? Ten. I want to buy you 10 hours, and then I want to ask for one of those in return. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the crux of, of what you're suggesting. Is that correct? That is it. That is it. And there's one other piece. Whenever you ask mm-hmm. for some level of mentorship or some level of support or whatever, and you already you gave your proposition of value, how you can help, also say, I don't need much of your time. There's, there's, whenever I talked with multiple other people, there's a lot of people in my life, uh, not just coaches, but a lot of other uh, mentors that I do have. That is something that catches a lot of people's eye. Cause whenever they're approached, um, this is what I've heard. I, I don't have a lot of people that I mentor, but this is what I've heard in the conversations that I've had is, all people are doing is asking for an abundance of time and investment from me. Yeah, they might give some level of value, but I already don't have a ton of time. But if you come and say, I don't need a lot of your time, maybe just answering one quick question or just uh, gleaming an idea off of something that I'm pitching every once in a while, uh, would you be interested in just sitting down and having a quick conversation, maybe 15 minutes, five minutes, if that's all you have? That's valuable to people um, because over everything, people put their time as one of the most valuable things that they have. So you don't want to spend a lot of their time. And then at the same time, you have a value proposition for yourself. If you do both of those, um, there is somebody out there that will help you. There's somebody out there that will support you. Good. Let's let's boil this down to an action item because I think that this is again it's a key learning for individuals who are looking to build credibility and may have a challenge whether that's age or something else. Uh, reach out to someone who you think is a potential mentor. Yes. Try and find out what it is that they dislike, or don't have time for, or are struggling with, or are avoiding. Offer to do that to buy them back some degree of time and then say, there's not a lot of time that I need of yours, mm-hmm. but just if I can buy you this much, all I'm looking for is to have this little bit in return. So Aaron, to cap this off, uh, what are some, let, let's list two or three areas that generally are probably a pretty good area to start with the offering. So you've mentioned a technology. Hey, mm-hmm. I can help with your website. You've mentioned social media. I can help you get your Instagram page set up. What are a couple other things that people might use as a template to start reaching out to potential mentors? Ooh. Um, as you said. Uh, the, emails you mentioned as well. Yeah, emails. Uh, being there, being someone's driver is a big one, like you had mentioned. You mentioned a story earlier where uh, being a driver and actually moving someone around. That is a service that people pay for. So. 
if someone's coming into your city and you have a conversation with their assistant and you set up a system like that, that gives you direct access to have conversations with them in between where there's not many other people there. And you can they they would possibly be really open to having conversations in those long 20, 30 minute drives uh, where you can glean some some good jewels and also get to know them. Um, when people find out that you're an up and comer like they are, a lot of people like that because whenever they were younger, they had to do the same thing. They struggled to get to where they are, just like uh, we are now. Um, something else that I would say. So we've got social media, um, emails, possibly doing driving. Um, hmm. It's hard to say them all. What I What I can say is, how about sitting down, having a list of the people that you think would be great possible mentors um, or people in pos the position that you would like to get to? And then look at things like um, their age. If they're older, social media could be a great situation. Uh, website could be a great situation. If they're closer to your age or they're a little bit younger, it could possibly be uh, taking up the the smaller admin elements of their job. If it's the admin stuff, then just have that conversation. What is the 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 twenty percent of what you do that gives the eighty percent of the results? So that twenty eighty rule. And then what are those things that you do that you absolutely hate? And I'm willing to do every bit of it just to have a five minute conversation with you because I think you are absolutely brilliant. And getting an opportunity to talk to you and glimpse, glimpse some ideas off of you would be huge in my ability to, to find success in the same field. I really respect you and I think you're, um, you're great at what you do. Doing something that simple, they would send you a reply with all the answers if they replied to you um, because you asked the right question and it's figuring out what they don't like or what they don't have time for. Good. So those of you who are listening at home, you've got a few options here. I think the key takeaway is don't wait. Today, you know exactly how you can add value to some people's mm -hmm. lives. You likely already know some potential mentors. Reach out now and come back and let us know how it went. You can message us podcast at mgscc.net. You can drop something in the chat below. But ultimately, um, don't delay. Mm -hmm. Don't hesitate. You've got a framework and a pathway. Yeah. Get on to it. Mm -hmm. So um, Aaron, you introduced me to a, a beautiful quote, which to my knowledge doesn't have a definitive attribution, but the quote is this, it's better to be a warrior in a garden mm -hmm. than to be a gardener in a war. When we start our careers as coaches, it sort of feels like we're that gardener out of place, a little <laughs> bit nervous. Um, but as we progress and develop ourselves, we earn our warrior position in the garden. So now that you've got soil and seeds beneath your feet, uh, I'd love for you to share that experience with us and talk about some of the smart choices that you made along the way to reach the success that you've, you've created today. So if the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step, what would you say have been some of the best first steps that you've taken? Ooh. I would say it's taking the step to begin with. Um, there are multiple 
times where we have a goal or a dream and the can'ts start ringing off in our brain. You can't achieve that. I mean, I was an athlete that was straight out of college that had no professional experience. And I had an option. Do I email this uh, essentially icon in the field um, with a fairly decent proposition? It was it was terrible. I'm giving myself way too much credit for that. Um, but <laughs> a fairly decent proposition. Or do I stay where I'm comfortable? That was a very uncomfortable thing to do. Um, just sending that email took a lot of, of, of self-will and courage and the acceptance of failure. Taking that first step with whatever your dream is, it could be coaching or it could be other things too. Just, just step, walk out and do anything that's going to give you experience or the opportunity to learn more about that goal. Um, that is really the, the real big piece to all of the things that I've learned. If you're too afraid to start, you will never achieve. You have to start first. You have to take steps first. You have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I know that's, that's an oxymoron and it's two opposing things, but it is true. If you're uncomfortable doing it, that is the area that you probably need to go into and work more into doing that. I like that. Well, you know, on this topic of being uncomfortable, um, I like to explore the habits or routines that you've had to establish to become a successful coach and entrepreneur. So what are some of the ways that maybe you have made yourself uncomfortable with a new routine or some of the ways that you have shed some, let's say, tolerable discomfort and shaped your life in a way that actually produces the results that you're looking for? Mm. Creating a structure. Um where I took so much time by doing everything. So I was working, I had multiple jobs that I did. And then I also was trying to learn as much as I could in the coaching side. I was really used to this very flexible lifestyle to where it was all crammed and it's just chaos happening all the time. The only way for me to move forward whenever I started getting clients and started, um, actually being successful in the field was to reshape the way that I thought about my day. Because for me, having your day full of just everything jam-packed together meant it was successful. If I got tired at the end of the day and I had four hours and I had to wake up again, oh yeah, I had a good day. It was just packed with things. Finding a structure that showed me what served me the most and where I really needed to focus my time was really important learning for me. I didn't have a structured calendar. So going in and saying, wake up in the morning and prime your mind with um, meditation. It's a gratitude meditation that I do in the morning. And then um, some level of exercise. And then start out all of your days with writing who you're speaking with some level of prep for the day and going from meeting to 30 minute break. So you can prep for the next meeting, 30 minute prep for the next allows you to be able to serve everyone very well. 
um, I was cramming them all together. I was trying to smash everybody in as much as possible, and I wasn't able to give the best version of self. And that is very important. It's not just important to make it and get clients. It's important to serve those clients and be the best you possible. Um, yeah, structure was big for me. That that chaos was something that I lived in for a long time. Um, from sports, we, we had a long thing. And then I was also pre-med. So that was insane. Transitioning to working uh, all of those different jobs to learning coaching, to then being able to serve and be in my zone and really help. Structure was big. So if you can structure your day, you can have a way more effective outcome, way more effective outcome for sure. Okay. So letting some of the things that you let go of was the having an overly flexible calendar and then also jumping into things and jamming as much in as you can. It sounds like you're having a good solid morning routine and then you're having the discipline throughout the day to actually execute or plan your work and work your plan, so to say. Is yes. that right? Yes, that is it. That is it. You have to be able to serve the people you're working with. That's for sure. So Aaron, if I understand correctly, what we've done is we have let go of having an overly flexible life and pushed or enforced structure into our life, including a strict morning routine that primes us for the day making sure that your priorities are set, and then essentially planning your work and working your plan. Does that mm -hmm. seem like a fair summary? That does. That does. It is. I, I think it's a perfect uh, representation of Marshall Goldsmith's book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. That chaos helped me get where I was and then shifting so that I could be a better version of self as I moved up that ladder is the reason why I've been able to continue to be successful um, in that regard. I still have a lot of room to grow and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how I need to shift to get to that point as well. You know, a recurring motif that comes up in our dialogues about your career is your, your very strong ability to manage acceptable uh, losses. So to say, yeah, I want to be a coach. I need to coach people. I need to get paid for it. But before I get paid, I need to take the loss of just doing it pro bono. Mm -hmm. I need to find these mentors. So I'm going to need to give up some more of my time. And once I reach that point, it's okay to change things and shift gears. But until I reach that point, it's not okay to pretend like I am there. And I think that's important. So the outcome of all of this is what has given you these unique perspectives and experiences in your life. So how does that translate into unique advantages that your clients get when they're working with you as a coach? Mm. Honestly, um, it really gives people the opportunity to know that I've gone through a lot of adversity on my own. I've gone through a lot of struggle and fight and I can pull from those to give examples of why they need to keep pushing through and be more resilient for themselves. Why it's important that whenever things get hard in the workplace or in that growth opportunity or however they're trying to get better and it will get hard. That's, that is, that is part of the work. Um, it's not all sunshine. That is for sure. And when it gets hard, I can pull out from these examples in my own life to where I struggled a lot. I mean, in all honesty, whenever I was first starting out and I was working all those jobs, I started intermittent fasting because I couldn't necessarily afford to eat three meals a day. <laughs> so 
whenever when you have experiences like that, being able to transition those into effective stories to relate it to the people you're working with gives you a superpower. And that's really how I've used it. I've used it to create and bolster uh, resiliency, um, to, to be able to show that you can go through these hardships and still have a positive attitude, that adversity creates, um, it creates a better version of self because it's that pressure that forms that diamond. You have to have that pressure to know where you need to go or what you need to change. Otherwise, what's the reason of leaving where you're comfortable? Um, so it's really turning those experiences into stories that can help them learn and grow in their own position. Okay. Well, let's, let's make this even more practical now. Mm -hmm. I, I assume that I'm, I'm a leader. I discover Aaron Wheeler here on the podcast and you know, mm -hmm. what's going through my mind is boy, I could have a coach who has climbed the ladder just as long and maybe has reached a different rung but I really want to work with someone who knows what it feels like to slip down a few rungs. That's mm -hmm. the coach that I, I want to work with. I want to work with someone who has these stories and who has been through the fire. Uh, how would I know as a listener, as a leader, if I am an ideal client for you and if you are an ideal coach for me? You know, let's stay, stay specifically, what challenges might I be working with uh, to know whether or not I'm a good, good uh, client for you? Mm. That is a good question, too. Um, honestly, it would be if you're going through a lot of adversity and let's say you are a you're a director, director level manager, and you feel like you don't necessarily have the support that you need to make it to the next level. In that situation, I try to create a environment of support, an environment of positivity, an environment to help you continue to push forward. But also with stakeholder-centered coaching, it starts to bring in those people that aren't necessarily giving you all that you need to develop and grow and allow them to be stakeholders to your success so they can see that inner superhero that you have. They can see the hard work that you put into advancing and moving forward. And you can not only grow and get better, but you can also receive the um, you can receive all of that, that praise for doing it. All of the the hard work that you put in, all of the long nights and hard days, all of the, the daily checklists and work that you've tried to grow and be better at. Um, you actually get acknowledged for that. And that is that perception of others is going to be really important in your ability to move up. So working with people like a director level or um, even an executive level that find it important to change perception of the people around them and then also need a level of support and positivity. I'm your guy. Um, that's the environment that I like to create. I'm very flexible in regards to what field you're in and um, what sector you're in, all of those things. I'm flexible there because I was an open book. I didn't start out in the traditional um, corporate environment. I can help people that are looking to be better. And if that's you, 
and you want to do it with a smile and you want to hear my loud laugh and see my massive teeth, then I'm here to help you. (laughs) (laughs) How would they go about contacting you? How can they get in touch with you, follow your story? Yeah. So you can reach me at my website at aaron-wheeler.com. Um, A-A-R-O-N dash W-H-E-E-L-E-R dot com. Uh, my email is Aaron Wheeler dot coaching at gmail dot com. Um, I talk about all this technological advancement, but I have a Gmail <laughs> email. Yeah, I, I gotta, I gotta step that one up. But as for now, that's what it is. Um, I have a couple of other things that I'm going to be working on. Uh, but until then, if you connect with me through those two avenues, um, I would be very happy to speak with you, very happy to support you however I can. If you are an up and coming coach, uh, I am happy to give you the wisdom that I've got. I have a lot more miles left, a lot more to learn, a lot more to do, um, a lot of ways that I can be better. But there are certain hurdles that I've come across and I might be able to help you out in relation to not having to, to do all of the crazy things that I did in relation to getting to where I am now. I'm happy to cut that corner for you. It's a very generous offer, especially give in light of our conversation about just how, how hard it can be to get that uh, mentor's attention. It's very sweet of you to offer yeah. that uh, expertise and, uh, time. Um, so if I'm a leader and I reach out, what kind of results can I expect or what outcomes do you generally see from your your clients, your coaching clients? Yes, I have been very lucky. Um, so if for those of you that don't know the SEC structure, structure, we do, we have a tangible result. So what it is, is you'll get an actual score. It's from a scale of negative three to plus three. Negative three, meaning, wow, you got way worse. And that is, I haven't seen anybody touch that negative three. Um, zero, meaning there was no change. Positive three, meaning you got way better, way, way better. Um, anything or success is one and above. So we try to get everybody that we work with to be a one and above. I've been really lucky very, very lucky. And I've worked with so many amazing people. It is not me. It's them. They're great people. They put in a lot of work to get um, an average of over a 2.5 whenever I do this work with people. So if if you're looking to grow in a leadership skill and be better in some way, leadership wise for your organization, your team and yourself, you're trying to um, add more value in some type of way, or you're already amazing and you're just trying to get that one step better. Um, the people that I work with tend to fall in that category. And you can look at, at getting better as long as you put in the action and the time to do it. Um, and that being perceived by those around you. So maybe that 2.5, maybe that one, Whatever it is, I'm happy to support and happy to be there. Um, But yeah, I'm happy to do it for you. I'm here. Well, the last segment of our show focuses on offering advice to our listeners. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'll ask a specific question or raise a particular topic provided by a segment of our audience. 
And I'd just like to ask you to share your personal perspective. Uh, we'll begin okay. with, with something general. Uh, if I were given five minutes to say something to uh, the leadership community around the world, if you were given five minutes mm. to sit in front of the entire community of coaches and leaders around the world, what would you say to them? Ooh, that is another good question. You are a wizard with very impactful questions. <laughs> um, if I could step in front of the leadership community, I would really push the fact that leadership and trust are built. Because you have a position does not mean that you are a leader. Because you have authority does not necessarily mean that you're a leader. Leadership is when others want to follow you. When you have people behind you that are willing to do work and support your vision and support your direction. So ensure that you are the best that you could be. Because if you've got those behind you that are going in the way that you're leading, it is an injustice not to be the best that you can be. Now, imagine that I'm a mid-30s coach. Mm -hmm. My coaching skills are really starting to get dialed in. But my entrepreneurialism is its, it's a bit of a lost concept. <laughs> what advice would you give me or perhaps what? Books might you recommend? Courses you might recommend? Yeah, there was, I don't know that SCC still does the course. It was taught by Andy Taylor and Bill Guerin, and it was on sales. That course helped me so much. It reframed the way that I looked at selling because, um, as I mentioned earlier, I had a weird disconnect between what I would offer and then asking for money for it. Uh, whenever I sat in there um, talking with Bill Guerin and a lot of the other people in the community and Andy Taylor, they really broke it down. It's You're offering them a massive amount of value. People want to, to give back for the value that you give. So the way that they are able to do that is through a payment. And that's just the natural transition or, or transaction of things. So don't look at it as you're taking money from them, but look at it as you're serving them. And that's the way that they get, they pay you back for the service that you've provided. Um, having that type of men mentality shift helped me so much, helped me so much. If they're not doing that, Andy, Bill, please bring that back. That was, that was a great opportunity for so many people to learn in relation to sales. Um, the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I think that was a great one for entrepreneurial wise. Um, it really shifts the way that, that we have grown, grown up and our thought processes around uh, entrepreneurship, around uh, finances, around um, how you actually get into and are able to um, be an entrepreneur and be successful at it and the grind that it takes to do it, that it's not this easy, beautiful, lavish, finished product when you start. It's actually very ugly, very hard, <laughs> very, very hard. As Brandon's, he's shaking his head, yes, um, he understands. Uh, it is not easy. 
at all. And if you're going down this process or down this, uh, down this road, stick with it. Anything worth having is, is worth fighting for. And if this is what you want, push through the pain, push through the hardship and just take another step. If I came to you as a leader who is actively hiring a coach and I asked you, Aaron, what are the, you know, two or three key characteristics or qualities that I should be looking for in a coach? What would you suggest? Ooh, the key characteristics in a coach. Um, number one, somebody that holds you accountable. That is a big one. Coaching, a lot of coaching uh, revolves around being able to hold someone accountable, hold a leader accountable. Uh, number two, I would say someone that's able to have tough conversations. A, a coach is supposed to challenge you. It's not supposed to just be an easy conversation all the time. It's not supposed to be a yes person that can just validate all of the brilliance that you say or do. It's um, it's somebody that can really have a tough conversation with you and challenge you in ways that you haven't really had before or maybe have been too uncomfortable to really talk about. And number three, I say this one. I don't know if everybody else does. Make sure that it's a good fit. Whenever you sit down and you have a conversation, do you connect with them? If you don't, it is very hard to be open with people that you don't connect with. If you, if you look, if me and Brandon were together and I sat down with Brandon and I just start sweating and his, his style is completely opposite to mine and we're just clashing all the time. That is not a good coaching relationship. It's not, you have to, you really do have to be able to have some level of a mesh and a fit so that you can feel comfortable enough to be uncomfortable because that takes vulnerability. It takes a lot of vulnerability to do that. Brandon, I'm, I'm actually like curious. I, I well, fortunately have that carrot that, oh, <laughs> sorry, we've got a little bit of a lag. Go ahead, Aaron. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I said, I'm actually curious. How would you answer that question? Well, my answer is definitely going to be different than most. Uh, and I'll preface why um, it's because I, treat coaching the same way that a an accountant might approach your taxes and the same way that a, a doctor might approach a patient, an attorney might approach a client. Um, I'm a service provider. I don't get hired to be a friend. I get hired mm -hmm. to tell the truth and to enforce yeah. a structure. Um, and so that's very good for a small sliver of leaders. Many leaders want to be buddies with their coach and build deep lasting friendships. I want to work with you for about 12 months, maybe 18 mm -hmm. and then say goodbye and we'll stick around. We'll be part of mastermind groups. We'll still be interacting. I'll care about you, your family, your hobbies, your all of these things. But at the end of the day, I maintain a very uh, professional relationship. So for me, it comes down to the three characteristics I look for in clients and that's courage, humility, and discipline. Does the coach have the courage mm -hmm. to have the hard conversations, to give, mm -hmm. to say what is the right thing at the right time, regardless of how it's going to uh, f feel or be received somewhere in between there? Uh, 
Um, humility, are they going to have the humility to admit when something's wrong? Are they going to have the courage mm -hmm. to experiment and the humility to say, yeah, that didn't work out so well? Um, will they have the humility to make it all about you, all about you? Can you imagine your doctor walking into the office and talking about, I don't know, bringing in their own life's baggage instead of looking <laughs> at your charts and providing, you know, the insight uh, and then discipline. Are they going to be disciplined to hold your feet to the fire, to make sure that this process is being followed, to make sure that stakeholders are being followed up with, measurements are being taken? Um, and so mine is a, a bit less personal. It's yeah. a bit more professional. But I think that these three characteristics in my coaching are very aligned with the service that I want to offer and also the outcomes that the clients want to uh, want to achieve. And, you know, we do this and this will be, I'll tee this question up um, and we'll close and we'll circle back to the, the answer. We do this by using uh, this list of do's and don'ts that we give to the leaders. Mm -hmm. You know, things like do involve all the relevant stakeholders. Don't just stick with your fan club. So we have a specific <laughs> list that we use to kind of parameterize our coaching. Um, and so Aaron, my last question to you is, is if you were to write uh, a do's and don'ts list for coaches mm -hmm. who are younger, coaches who are less experienced, or coaches who just are having, having that challenge of credibility, uh, finding their footing, what are two or three things that might be on that list? So take a moment to think about that. Um, and I want to invite those of you who are watching at home, if you are listening on your daily commute or during your, your exercise at the gym, if there is a question you'd like to ask, if there's a coach you'd like to hear interviewed, drop me a line, podcast at mgscc.net. And if you're interested in learning more about our training program, go to mgscc.net forward slash sample course to get instant access to the course Foundations of Stakeholder-Centered Coaching where you can learn the founding principles of our coaching methodology at no cost to you. So Aaron, do's and don'ts list. What are a couple of the things that might be on your prescription? Mm. I would say don't do this alone. Learn from other people. Learn from other people that have done it, are out there, and are really able to tell you what's a good first step is, what a good um, pitch is, what it depends on where you are. You can glean so much information from other people. So don't try to do it alone. Um, I say, say yes to as much as you can. When opportunities show up, even though they might be as glamorous, they might not be as glamorous as you would hope. Say yes, give it a shot. You never know what can come out of that opportunity. You could learn um, a thousand lessons just within that one yes that you otherwise wouldn't have been able to learn. And it could save you from some hard outcomes later. Um, saying yes is really one of the big reasons why I am where I am today. Uh, what would another one be? I would say take the first step. Do it. If it's something you want to do, it is worth the effort. No matter what your limiting belief is, no matter what's holding you back, um, no matter what other people say, because the hard truth is other people aren't always going to support you. 
You're going to have people in your life that might tell you not to do something, even though that's your big dream or why you can't do something. Some in some circumstances, you might have that person as a family member or that could also be a spouse. And that's OK, because at the end of the day, they're really trying to just shield you from heartache or pain. They don't mean to say what they're saying, but you have to have the utmost belief in self. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. Step out and be uncomfortable and find really what it means to work towards a goal. Failure is inevitable. Be okay with it and take that first step. Beautiful. Well, Aaron, this has been wonderful to have you. Before we say (laughs) goodbye to our listeners, can you tell us one more time, how can people follow your story, get in touch with you? Yeah, Brandon, um, before I say that, it has been awesome being here. I honestly feel blessed to even have this opportunity and to get a chance to speak with everybody, get a chance to speak with you. Um, contact me at Aaron-Wheeler.com or at my uh, Google email at AaronWheeler.coaching at Yahoo.com, I mean, at gmail.com. So yet again, it's Aaron Wheeler dot coaching at 